We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trevor Lawrence is elite. Zeke Elliott scores seven games in a row. That and much, much more on the Roto-Wire Monday morning Top Takeaways Fantasy Football Podcast for Week 15. Welcome in to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Alan Soslowski, sitting in for Jeff Erickson. And of course, fear not, as always, I'm with Nick Whalen, and we are going to break down somewhat all of the games, as many as we can get to, and as many takeaways as we can get to for the week 15, the first round of the fantasy football playoffs, and give you a few actionable takeaways that you can use going into week 16, as always. The Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by No House Advantage. Use promo code WIRE and get over there to check out their game. Nick, have you ever played No House Advantage? I started playing in the middle of the season. It's a really, really interesting game. They have a nice interface as well. Yeah, they do. They do. And you know, I, I, I played it a few times. We talked about it on the XM show as well. Um, obviously, being up here in Wisconsin, I, I have some some limitations as far as what we can do in the you know, official gambling sphere. So, you know, sites like No House Advantage are, are kind of the perfect supplement. All right. Uh, well, let's start. Let's go back to Thursday night, which seems like it wasn't even part of week 15. I mean, you know, that that's the trouble when, when you have games on Thursday and Saturday and Sunday and then, you know, obviously heading into Monday. But briefly, I want to talk about that San Francisco Seattle game and Christian McCaffrey. He's been an Iron Man. And now we just got news in the uh, that the Jonathan Taylor, he's been like a disaster. Isn't it funny that Taylor was considered the rock and McCaffrey was considered the injury risk? It's flipped completely on its head a few months ago. Yeah, I don't know if I would quite describe it as funny, Alan, as somebody who had Jonathan Taylor uh, in a pretty important fantasy football uh, playoff matchup this past week. So I basically knew that I was done by like 1230 Central Time on, on Saturday once Taylor exited that game. And it was pretty clear that he wasn't coming back. And we should mention, by the way, high ankle sprain for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, expectation is that we probably don't see him again the remainder of the season. So uh, if you somehow survived your matchup while starting Jonathan Taylor last week, congratulations. But uh, probably not, not going to be uh, all, all roses the rest of the way. But yeah, going back to Thursday night, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, this game played out pretty similarly to what we expected, right? It was a, a dominant performance 
by the 49ers defense. Uh, once again, the 49ers allowed Brock Purdy, I think, to just kind of stick with what he's comfortable with on the offensive end. You know, made some nice throws. I, I still don't feel like they're they're overly limiting him or, or treating him with kid gloves, but you know, they're also not asking him to do a ton and putting the ball in the hands of Christian McCaffrey to to an almost laughable degree at times. I mean, they were just you know, feeding Christian McCaffrey throughout this game. And, and like you said, he showed very few signs of wear and tear. Yeah. And then I think that other than McCaffrey just being the stud that you took at 1.1, we have some real clarity. For some reason, if Jordan Mason, the rookie, is out there, he needs to be on your Christian McCaffrey team. And again, I doubt he's out there in any competitive league at this point, but he also, you know, had 64 yards. I mean, it's moving forward. This is the guy. And, you know, once again, Tyrion Davis price and any third round pick that the 49ers uh, take next year at running back position can obviously be ignored right. on the other side though. Ken Walker, he came back. Fantasy managers were really struggling whether to start him. He only got, you have what, 47 yards rushing. Uh, didn't do much, but I think the big takeaway from this game is Tyler Lockett, who's basically been a touchdown machine for the Seattle Seahawks. And, and he did get you seven for 68 on his nine targets, but it's unlikely he's going to play next week, Nick. Yeah, it is. So that that is not great news. If you're you know somebody who's kind of been riding a, a free Geno Smith pickup, I, I would imagine uh, you probably have other options. So you're not super concerned about that. But potentially good news for DK Metcalf. You know, who both he and Lockett saw a bunch of usage in that game against San Francisco. But overall, I mean, that is that is a, a troubling situation for a Seattle team that desperately needs to win and maybe needs to win out at this point uh, to, to to feel good about making the NFC playoffs. They've they've completely fallen off over the last month. And to me, Alan, it feels like this dates all the way back to that Germany game against Tampa Bay, where it, that was just, that was kind of the first time that we saw this version of Seattle, where the offensive line feels like it's taken a step back. The defense feels like it's taken a, a major, major step back. One of the most improved units in the league over the kind of the first half of the season, that's completely fallen off. Geno Smith is making more mistakes than he was earlier in the season. And yeah, removing Tyler Lockett from that equation is rough. And then I think that the beneficiary that's actionable from the Tyler Lockett injury is the uh, tight end Noah Fant. As you know, unless you have Travis Kelsey and maybe Mark Andrews, and I guess if you stuck with Darren Waller, you are just in tight end hell every single week. So Noah Fant saw six targets. He had five catches, 32 yards, but he got it in the end zone. So if he's out there and you're one of the teams that just needs a tight end, he could see an uptick in targets. I mean, who else are they going to have? I mean, the, you know, Marquise Goodwin, I guess is there. And, yeah. you know, so I, I kind of like Marquise Goodwin. Uh, you know, he, he had a one big game earlier this season when they were dealing with injuries. So, you know, at least the blueprint is potentially there for him. You know, had five for 95, even against Carolina a couple weeks ago, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you're, you're ultimately kind of grasping at straws there. And um, if you're looking at just the stat breakdown in terms of tight ends, I mean, Seattle uses three guys, Disley, Fant, and Parkinson. They were all used relatively evenly, 37 snaps for Disley, 33 for Fant, 25 for Colby Parkinson. But Noah Fant targeted six times, Disley and Parkinson targeted one time each. So it's pretty clear who they trust more in the passing game. Saturday afternoon, man, the Colts and the Vikings. Matt Ryan now... Yes, Matt Ryan now has the distinguished honor of blowing two of the biggest comebacks of all time, meaning that he was on the wrong end of them. Everyone remembers Super Bowl 
51 when they were up 28 to 3. 28 to 3 is almost like a meme at this point. It and, is. And now it's definitely a meme. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you send someone 28 to 3, they know what you're talking about. Exactly. Like you blew it. You blew it, you know? Yes. Uh but this one was even more impressive because it was a, you know, they were down what 33 33 20? nothing. Yeah, 33 nothing and then I think they were down 33 points at another point and then uh, Minnesota, I mean, you you were really worried in your Justin Jefferson teams because he went out early and you're like, oh, no, you had that Jonathan Taylor yep. situation going on where you thought you were done. And then he comes back with a with a big game. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you had a, a Jefferson Taylor pairing uh, on your fantasy team, you were in full on panic mode at one point in the first half. I mean, shocking comeback, obviously biggest comeback in NFL history. You know, I think you, you got to give the Vikings credit. At the same time, you also fell behind 33-0 to Matt Ryan at home. I mean, it, it, for, for most of this day, it looked like they were going to have the two biggest no-shows of the season, of course, counting the 40-3 the to game against Dallas. So, you know, if you're Minnesota, you come out of this, I, I guess it ends up being somewhat of this galvanizing moral victory. But I think you, you still have major concerns that you were even in that hole in the first place. And I, I think this is, despite Minnesota ultimately winning the game, it feels like this was just kind of more fodder uh, for the crowd of, of people who are been calling this Minnesota team frauds all season. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Minnesota and I asked, I, I talked about this briefly with, with Jim on the Sunday show mm-hmm. is Minnesota. Let's they're likely to have the number two seed. I think we agree on that, but they're going to have an opponent, a flawed opponent. They're going to have the giants in round one. They're going to have the commanders in round one. I mean, God forbid it's the lions, but it might, it might be the Seahawks in round yeah, one. So be the Packers. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet I'll take the under on that one, Nick. They're okay. what are they? Yeah, but hey, you're right though. It, if they win tonight, what are they six and eight? They're very yeah. much alive. So, um, either way though, the Vikings for all their flaws are going to have a very flawed opponent in the first yeah. round. So I still believe that they'll be favored, whether it's a field goal, whether it's two and a half, whether it's six and a half, I don't know. So they can mm-hmm. still win a playoff game. Uh, obviously that's the NFC for you right there. Dalvin cook, you know, in the, in the preseason, we were advocating for taking him as high as pick two. That probably wasn't a good idea, but if you got him, it picked nine through 12. Sometimes he was dripping into the second round. You at least broke even on that pick. Yeah. I, I think at times it's felt like a disappointment for Dalvin cook, but on the whole, uh, he's, he's having actually kind of a, a very Ezekiel Elliott like season, Alan, where I think, you know, week to week, you you sometimes you're thinking, why did I take this guy? But um, when, when you take it holistically, you know, he stayed healthy for the most part. That's been big. That sets him apart for, you know, from, from a lot of the other running backs who've been disappointments. Um, you know, fumbles have been an issue. Like, it feels like there are two or three times this season where if they had just run a normal play, Dalvin Cook could walk in for another touchdown, and, and that would obviously uh, boost his fantasy numbers. But on the whole, he's been really solid, really, really solid. I, 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 again, like I, maybe you're not blown away by the production that you're getting from Dalvin Cook, but at the same time, by no means uh, where you were taking him uh, is it going to go down as a bust. And in and, and this game specifically, four for 95 and a touchdown through the air, including that long one near the end of the game. Yes, I think the big takeaway is going to come on the running back side, Nick, uh, for fantasy football. If you had Jonathan Taylor, both Zach Moss had 24 yep. carries for 81 yards. Deion Jackson, 13 carries for 55 yards. Um, just looking, neither, I guess they both had got involved a little bit in the passing game. But yeah. which one of these two running backs, if you absolutely need someone who you think is going to be earmarked yep. for touches, which one of these guys do you want if you're desperate to play them in week 16? 
You know, it's interesting because I, I think earlier in the year, I would have said Deion Jackson, who you know, we saw him for like a game and a half when Taylor was out earlier this year. One of those was against the Jags. Uh, Jackson, I thought, actually ran really well in that game. But I, I think based on what we saw on Saturday afternoon now, and it, it kind of has to be Moss, right? I mean, he doubled up Deion Jackson in snaps. He ran more routes. Uh, he was targeted the same number of times. He had 11 more carries. Uh, so, it, you know, unless that completely reverses next week, which I, I guess is possible, uh, based on what we saw this past week, I think the Colts trust Zach Moss or at least feel like maybe he has a little bit more upside. And uh, both of these guys are relatively young. You know, Zach Moss, of course, former Bill, uh, still early in his NFL career. So I think they, they maybe want to get a look at both in what's become a lost season down the stretch. But uh, based on what we saw Saturday, Eileen Moss. It's funny. I was going to say Deion Jackson, but you make it, the answer might be neither, right? But if you have yeah. to get one, I would say that Deion Jackson is the more likely guy to be involved in the passing game. But who's going to own that touchdown equity? That's probably Zach Moss. And that's really the name of the game is touchdowns. And we'll see how that all goes down. Yeah. Uh, and just very quickly before we move on, KJ Osborne, you can't trust him next week, right? I mean, even though he had the monster week, you're not picking yeah. him up to play him, right? I, it's, it's, just awful because I have KJ Osborne on so many teams. He was kind of like my late round dart throw. I'm like, you know, maybe he takes a big step forward this year. Uh, of course, I didn't start him this past week. And no, this seems like a classic uh, kind of the what we saw from Evan Ingram two weeks ago, where you're like, okay, we know for a fact Evan Ingram's not putting up 37 fantasy points two weeks in a row. So yeah, may maybe some people will throw him out there, but yeah, this feels like you know just a classic example of uh, fantasy fool's gold. Not to, you know, use a cliche, but classic best ball pick, right? Like you like KJ Osborne and your team. Oh, yeah. You never know the two weeks he's going to pop. So if you were like in, you know, third place, this could have pushed you into the one or two spot in your best ball yeah. league. Nick, we talked a little bit earlier about no house advantage and no house advantage is the game that's changing by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform that's available today. You play pick them contests versus other people for the shot at winning big cash prizes. Download the app. Choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard. Uh, you're shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars every week. You could test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all the picks. Bet on five player props, overs or unders, or individual matchups across every major sport, including baseball, basketball, golf, MMA, NASCAR, and of course, football. Sign up with promo code NHA Wire. That's N H A w i r e at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app the app stores and get your first deposit match up to 25 bucks make sure to check out no house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefine and that's i, I highly recommend this game I, i've been playing it it's one of the better prop picking games as far as interface and fluidity of the app so uh, no house advantage. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast, but I'm glad that they put me on to uh, to the app. I did not was not aware of them before this year. All right, here we go. Uh, next game was a little bit of um, a snoozer, but I don't mind games like this. I'm talking, of course, about the Saturday afternoon game, the Ravens and the Browns. What I was looking for was to see if Deshaun Watson is going to basically shake off the rust and become that top five fantasy football asset moving forward. And I, I knew the first couple games or I had a feeling we're going to be a little iffy. Did you see anything from Watson in the passing game that makes you optimistic about ranking him as a top five guy next year or not so much? Not yet. Not yet. I, I remain open to the possibility that Deshaun Watson can return to being the player that he was uh, you know, near the end of his, his healthy tenure in Houston, but we haven't really seen a lot of evidence of that 
this season. That's for sure. It's, it's been ugly dating back to that debut against Houston. Um, you know, last week against Cincinnati looked slightly better. Um, you know, and obviously this was kind of a, a difficult situation against a Baltimore team that really wanted to grind out this game and, and slow things down. And look, we got 16 combined points. Uh, so they succeeded in that. Um, I, I had to stream this one at a wedding, Alan, on Saturday, just, just a, you know, a brutal scenario. I'm, I'm under the table. I'm like running back and forth to the bathroom. What was, what was more, what was more boring, Nick, the wedding or the game? Well, I was going to say, of all games to be going on during a wedding, I mean, this was like best case scenario. Uh, so I, I feel like I, I timed it out well. You know, I, the reception kind of started right as the, the night game. Uh, Dolphins-Bills was underway. So it was a lot easier for me to, to keep an eye on that one. But yeah, uh, kind of relieved that there, there wasn't a ton of scoring here. But no, I, I don't love what I've seen from Watson, man. I, he looks tentative. He doesn't look intense. He doesn't really look locked in. Um, I, I know a lot of people are trying to kind of read into the, the psychological stuff with Deshaun Watson. And I don't, I don't need to get into that. Um, but I, I, for, I, I would like to see at least like one kind of reminder game from him before the end of the season, because he, he's had flashes here and there, but I, I think if you didn't know who Deshaun Watson was, if you had no context for who he'd been in Houston, I don't think anything that he showed us in Cleveland would imply top five quarterback status, whether you're talking real life or fantasy. I'm really optimistic on Deshaun Watson because he's still in his athletic peak. And like you just said, it's if you just came back from a three-year vacation and you're like, oh, that's Deshaun Watson? Didn't he used to be good? I think in some of your keeper and dynasty formats that he's absolutely a buy if somebody's getting a little sketched out. If you want to, you know, if, if usually players like that are not even attainable in your, like, say, your super flex leagues or your, you know, mm-hmm. long-term keeper leagues. But there's a window right here to buy if somebody doesn't believe and – you know, listen, it's it's not often the guys going from being a top three, top five quarterback to basically just, you know, not even a top 10 quarterback uh, without some sort of injury or if your name is Russell Wilson. It's one of the two. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're dealing with unique circumstances with Watson. I think to me, it's it's just that he's missed so much time. I mean, I, I don't care how talented you are, how old you are. If you don't play football for 700 days it's going to take you a little bit to, to get it back. So I, you know, I, I'm by no means saying that Deshaun Watson is like a completely different player. Now we have to take into account as well that, you know, he's moving to a new team. And like you said, we, we've seen players, whether it's Russell Wilson or, or you know other guys who kind of moved around uh, in their careers, like you don't just hit the ground running with a new coaching staff, new teammates, uh, you know, timing with receivers, things like that. I mean, it, he's played three games essentially for the Browns didn't play much in the preseason. So I'm with you. If I'm in a dynasty league, I, I would happily try to acquire him at a slight discount. And those of you in the chat, let us know also if you think Deshaun Watson can reform, uh, can get back to top five status. We're curious on what everybody else thinks. Uh, Nick, the, the, oh, the other takeaway that I wrote down for this game was J.K. Dobbins is back. And I think that if we go back to August, and I was very much cautioning anyone who listens to Rotowire content to not draft J.K. Dobbins at his fifth-round price, and it was because I didn't like J.K. Dobbins. It's just that the guy was having some issues with his recovery in the preseason from the ACL. And I'm usually uh, – Injury. I'm fading injury optimism. Sometimes, and most of the time, you're going to make money in fantasy football. Uh, fading injury optimism. Uh, that those ba- and I think that that we're going to have to apply that to some of the guys like Kyler Murray for next year. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I would doubt if he's ready for Week One. If he is, is he going to be? You know, up is he going to be Kyler Murray? But sticking with J.K. Dobbins, have you seen now enough? He had another hundred plus yard rushing performance. It was high efficiency, but. Are you confident enough in him right now? If we were doing a draft for next year, is he a top 10 back, a top 12 back? Is he a second round pick? What do you, what's your stance on JK Dobbins? Is he back? I, I think he's 
on the verge of being back. I'd like to see one more of these games, but like you said, he basically put in exactly the performance that we saw last week against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, there, there's some commentary that maybe the top end speed wasn't there, but I, I think with Dobbins, that's fine. You know, you, you, you don't think you're drafting a, a guy who's essentially running away from the pack. He, he's more of a, you know, between the tackles guy anyway, but you know, to me, I, I don't know if I'm taking him in the second round. I, I think he's probably closer to the top 12 to 14 conversation for me. And, and part of it is, you know, it feels like even when he's been healthy, we haven't seen a, a fully healthy Ravens backfield. And I, I think part of the reason, you know, injuries aside, that there's been a little bit of caution around Dobbins is just wondering, okay, what's the breakdown here? Like when, when, when all their backs are healthy, is he the guy? Because it's such a unique offense. They've used multiple backs. Everybody's been hurt for the last two years. So it feels like we haven't really gotten an accurate look at this backfield. But even with Lamar Jackson out of this game, you know, maybe this is what it's going to look like, right? If it's J.K. Dobbins as the number one, Gus Edwards as the clear number two, uh, and then maybe you sneak in Justice Hill, you sneak in Kenyon Drake here and there. If this is a distribution, then I'm comfortable with it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm not taking him in, in the second round. I think I'm waiting until third round and beyond. Yeah, I think that's probably more where the market will be. And just while we're just talking briefly about this, I mean, we, the next game we're going to talk about is the Saturday night main event, which, of course, was Miami and uh, Buffalo. Do you think any quarterbacks in single quarterback redraft leagues are first round picks? That was a talk about two months ago. I would still say no way. But do you think in some leagues it's actually going to happen? Like Josh Allen or whoever your QB one is, at like pick 11? I think it's going to happen, yes. Um, would I do it? Probably not. But I will say I, I've been burned in a few leagues where I felt really comfortable waiting to grab Matthew Stafford or waiting to grab Russell Wilson or Tom Brady, you know? So like, that's going to be in the back of my mind when we're doing these 2023 drafts. And we we talked to Scott Pianowski on the SXM show, Tom Kastanik from NFFC about this. And, you know, they're kind of on, on our side here with, you know, I think one of the big trends we're going to see is kind of this reversal uh, on the discount of quarterbacks, because if you have Jalen hurts, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, and sometimes Joe Burrow, he's worked his way into that conversation If you have one of those three guys, I mean, that is just such a huge advantage week to week. I mean, that is like a free plus 10 if your opponent is starting Tom Brady. So, yeah, I I absolutely think we're going to see those three quarterbacks specifically start to come off the board at the end of the first round. I I think I I think especially with how many running backs like the Jonathan Taylor situation, for example, like I I think people are kind of sick of getting burned with with these high running backs. And I, I think quarterbacks who in general are healthier with the way that the NFL protects quarterbacks, I think it's a safer investment even if you know you start to look at the opportunity cost equations. Yeah, that's what it is. It's not the it's not that they score more points, it's about, you know, what's available later. Like is Justin Fields in the 4th or 5th round a better pick? You know, those are the mm-hmm. type of equations we're going to have to work out as early best ball season starts. Uh Saturday night main event I mean, if you, I have one team, Nick, that has like all of the Miami and and Buffalo guys. I mean, you know, who cares about my team? Well, actually, everyone cares about my team. This is very important to the to the world. Uh, but I have like a super flex team with Tua and Josh Allen, and then I have all the receivers, the, the Miami receivers and Stephon Diggs. So everyone got paid in this game, including Dawson Knox, who you probably didn't start because he goose egged last week. What's your one big takeaway from Saturday night? My one big takeaway is that I did not think Miami would compete in this game in the way that it did. And, you know, the Dolphins had a pretty good chance to win. Obviously, Buffalo puts together what's becoming kind of a signature late, uh, you know, late in the game, field goal drive, uh, you know, killing clock, uh, really well managed. I mean, 15 play drive to to go down and win that game late. But I really thought Miami would struggle in this environment. I, I did not think it was a good spot. 
for Tua. I, w- I was all over the Tua under on the yardage prop, which I, I think somehow still hit. It was hanging around 235, and he got he got to 234. Uh, but I was impressed with, with how Miami came out. They were able to run the ball on Buffalo as well. Um, so even though Miami loses this game, you know they are starting to, to, to lose some momentum these last few weeks. Um, I, they, they, they showed much, much better than I expected. What about you? I agree, with, especially with the weather. I was not expecting them to perform well in the weather. The one thing I wanted to ask you about this game was I didn't fully understand. Oh, I understood why Devin Singletary didn't run in for the touchdown, but I didn't necessarily agree with why he did it I, or the the situation. I mean, if you remember on Saturday night, Singletary with the game tied basically fell down at the four-yard line, did the Brian Westbrook so they yep. could kick the field goal. But in those conditions – one, what if there was a, a missed field goal, even though it was a very short field goal, and then challenging Tua to go 80 yards the other way? I probably would have said Singletary, go score, and let's see if Tua can run the other way 80 yards yep. or you know lead that drive. So, listen, it worked out for them. I just uh, didn't understand the uh, you know the, the equation uh, of risk versus reward. Uh, did you have that sa- a similar thought there, or were you you thought they played it exactly yeah. right? I, I think players are just like scared now because we we've seen it happen a couple times. You know, Mark Ingram, uh, you know, running out of bounds a, a couple weeks ago against Tampa. The, you know, the Nick Chubb play earlier this year. Like, there's there's three or four of those. So I think if you're a running back, you're on high alert. Like, you don't want to be the guy who's blamed if all of a sudden you score and and then the other team comes down and, and finds a way to tie it. So, like you said, it ended up working out. But I'm with you. Like with the elements and you know, you're kicking a, a rock hard football at that point in the night. Uh, I, I would totally okay. It's it's not like he was going to run that in with a minute and a half left. I, I think it would have no. been closer to like 20 seconds. So uh, at that point, I think if you can't trust your kick coverage and you can't trust your prevent defense, um, I, I, I would have been totally fine with him punching that in. You know, I, I think bringing it all the way down, I guess, and not even leaving the possibility of some crazy lateral play. I understand that. Um, but like I said, with 20 seconds left, I, I think you'll trust your defense. Yeah, absolutely. There. Uh, the one, th- would you trust Raheem Mostert? Next week, if you have him on your roster, he had 136 rushing yards. I mean, I did not expect him to uh, to go nuclear like that. If no. if you have a t- if you have some tough start sit decisions, I mean, is he running back 12 next week? Is he running back 18? I mean, just anecdotally, without having yeah. done a deep analysis, are you trusting him in the fantasy semifinal? Well, the big thing is we we need to find out what's up with Jeff Wilson, right? And if he's inactive again, I think that makes it a lot easier to to ride with Mostert. Fantastic matchup against Green Bay. I think that's the number one thing. So, yes, if, if Wilson is out, I, I'm happy to trust Mostert. This is a, a Packers rush defense that has been gashed over and over and over. And even though the offense is picking up steam for Green Bay, I, I don't know that we could say the same thing about the defense. Still a decent amount of attrition there. This game is at home in Miami. They always seem to play better there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is actually a pretty good spot on paper for Raheem Mostert, assuming Wilson is still banged up. The Rotowire Fantasy Football uh, Top 10 Takeaways and Review Podcast is also brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight. On Monkey Knife Fight, there's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. You can play NFL football. You can play college football. It's easy to play and to win daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com, and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit match instantly up to 100 bucks. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. All right, Nick, let's get into this Sunday slate with our top 10 takeaways. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, specifically. Well, actually, you know what? I want to start with a game that no one was looking forward to, I think, except me. I was looking forward to this Atlanta versus New Orleans game because I, I wanted to see what Desmond Ritter had. And 
he was a flat tire. Now, I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass. It's his first NFL start. He's a third-round rookie. But I thought that he would show a little bit more here. But once again, it was all about the running game. And our head coach, Arthur Smith, refused to put uh, to, to start Desmond Ritter over Marcus Mariota until they were basically out of it. Did you see anything on the Atlanta side and from Desmond Ritter whether how he got the ball to uh, Drake London. I mean, it would have been nice if Kyle Pitts was still there. What was your top takeaway from the Atlanta side of this game? You know, I was surprised that Atlanta still played this game pretty conservatively. Uh, you know, really kept the ball on the ground to an extreme degree. I mean, 39 carries for 231 yards as a team. It was a nice day for Algier, decent day for Cordero Patterson. Ritter himself, I think a lot more mobile than he gets credit for. He ran six times. For 38 yards. Yeah, the final numbers are ugly. Uh, there were certain, it, To me, it felt like he was just constantly under siege. He was sacked four times. Probably could have, could have been sacked eight times. Uh, hanging out to the ball a little bit too long. You know, starting to drift toward the sideline. Things that you typically see from rookie quarterbacks. So, to me, it went about as expected. Uh, I, I was with you. I, I kind of had slightly higher hopes just because Ritter had shown some progress uh, in the preseason. But he hasn't taken a single snap since that final preseason game. So, so totally warranted. Uh, that, that he might be a, a little bit rusty and a little bit green. Uh, you know, I, I think Atlanta losing this game, if you just look at the box score, pretty ugly. The Falcons had a very good chance to come down and, and potentially have Desmond Ritter lead uh, a game-tying, if not game-winning drive late in this game, but completed a pass on fourth down to Drake London. He gets stripped. New Orleans goes the other way, uh, essentially ends up running out the clock. So it did feel like we were robbed of, of some dramatics at the end of this one. But I think if you're Atlanta – you come away and say, yeah, this is probably about what we expected. And um, were you really going to get a, a better showing out of Marcus Mariota? Ultimately, I doubt it. Yeah. The, 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 you know, you have at least Drake London got his 11 targets. I think that's yes. a takeaway as well, that Desmond Ritter knows where the bread is going to be buttered. He caught seven of them for 70 yards. And that's reassuring on the other side of the ball. Rash, uh, Rashid Shahid. Man, it, it yeah. you know, three catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. The, the big takeaway here, Nick, is I think that it limits Chris Olave's upside. I mean, you're if you drafted Chris Olave, and I believe he'll be like a fourth round pick next year. I mean, people are going to really want Chris Olave on their team. He's been great for you all year. Uh, but, you know, this does this is a little concerning that they have another player, which, again, mm -hmm. eventually he's going to have to share the field with somebody. Right. It'll be it, we'll see what happens when they get a real quarterback in there. Now, here's a here's an interesting stat from the NFC South. Uh, Bill Simmons had this on his podcast this morning. So we all know how how bad that the NFC South has been. Here's their record right now. And this is per Bill Simmons podcast is 21 and 35 against the NFL. And. If you take out, he said the uh, the divisional opponents, they're twelve and twenty six. I mean that that's how Wait, bad that division has been right there. So somebody's gonna be the divisional champion. I mean, it's it'll be interesting. I don't think anyone wants Tampa in there. I mean, you know, Panthers didn't do themselves any favors, so it's really pathetic. The Saints are still alive at five and nine. The big takeaway there is that this is going to be a <laughs> someone with a lose like with seven wins might. Be, end up being the division champion all right moving along nick this is a game that uh, i know you probably watch very closely as a hardcore jaguars fan uh, yeah. dallas and the jags what a finish in overtime Ooh. jags 40 to 34 defeat the cowboys trevor lawrence 318 passing yards and four touchdowns only one pick he's got to be the big takeaway now you have to be i mean everyone needs to be sold that trevor lawrence is arrived. He's an elite quarterback that hasn't even touched his upside yet. 
I think we can officially say it. And I've been, uh, you know, kind of biting my tongue these last few weeks as he started to play better, but just kind of waiting for that implosion game to come. And maybe we've reached the point where he finally has turned the corner. It, it truly does feel that way. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to watch one highlight from this game, watch the kind of rollout throw to Zay Jones down the sideline for a long touchdown in the second half. I mean, that was a, a wow play for Trevor Lawrence, who, as well as he's played, you know, he doesn't really have those like Mahomes, Herbert, like, wow, crazy throw. He just does everything really well. I mean, this was one of those games where he was, I think, kind of starting to display a little flashiness, which you don't typically uh, associate with Trevor Lawrence or any anyone who's ever played quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, yeah, I mean, this was uh, really for the second week in a row, um, you know, the type of game that Jacksonville – typically does not win you know going down early against Tennessee looks like they're going to get run all over Derrick Henry's going to have 250 yards all of a sudden you force four turnovers and you win that game in a blowout um you know it looked like they were going to be blown out at one point in this game as well like the resilience that the Jaguars have shown to me is it's just so unlike this team uh over the last couple of decades and you know I'm kind of start struggling to discern how much of it is is Doug Peterson how much of it is was this team actually better than it should have been last season and the coaching just really dragged them down but either way I mean they're playing with confidence Tennessee ends up losing in the late window to the Chargers all of a sudden we have one game Allen separating the Titans and the Jags who do play in week 18 and Jags have the schedule cleared for them basically they're set up to win the rest of their games and they're very much alive in that AFC South. Now, we talked about the NFC South. The AFC South is not much better right now. And again, this is per Bill Simmons' podcast on the Monday edition. He, their AFC South is 18-36-2. and two. Take out the divisional opponents, and they're 11-29. and 29. So the South divisions are not doing well. If you combine both of those from the stats we laid out before, they're 23-55. and 55. But meanwhile... There's going to be Ugh. a division winner and there's going to be two playoff teams that are right now going to be they're, in they're there and hosting playoff games. Yep. And I, I've heard some pushback on that. If you don't have a winning record, people feel that you shouldn't host a playoff game. I think yeah. I, I'm all for if you win the division and because that's what football set up for. Right. Basically, you should host your playoff game. And who knows? It's the NFL. It'd only be, you know, one game. Anything could happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned Zay Jones. Zay Jones, league winner, three touchdowns. I mean, people were complaining, self-included, that he overpaid for Zay Jones. He's come through for fantasy football. It's been a little hard to know when to play him, but I think people were shoving them into their lineups this week. I went against the Zay Jones teams, and I felt the knockout punch pretty early with that second touchdown. Uh, Zay Jones will be 27 or 28 next year when the season starts. Now you're going to have the Jaguars are going to have Zay. They're going to have um, Christian Kirk. And then presumably they're going to remember Calvin Ridley's oh, coming yeah. back. I mean, we could see a Deshaun Watson rust thing happen, but Calvin Ridley, even though he's a little bit older, 28, 29 years old, he's still on his rookie contract because he came into the league as a rookie. I mean, he's an older rookie, right. but last year doesn't count towards his accrued years for obvious reasons. He was suspended. Uh, you have to be optimistic about the pass-catching core moving forward. And mm -hmm. really, the other takeaway that I wanted to ask you was, even though Travis Etienne had 103 yards on 19 carries, why hasn't he been involved in the passing game? I mean, two receptions for 24 yards. I thought he would be like a seven or eight reception yeah. guy. I thought so too. I, Jeff brings this up all the time on SXM. Uh, I mean, he has no more than three catches in any game this season, and he's only been targeted uh, more than four times twice. So it's not it's not like they're trying and it's not working. They're, it just hasn't really been a part of what they do. You know that they've they've kind of turned him into more of a traditional running back, and and he's so talented and so shifty 
that it's working out. But I, I think they need to kind of have a more Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara type of mindset with ETN. Like he, he has a decent amount of power packed into a relatively small frame, but I, I don't really think you, you want him you know, pounding into the line on, on second and 10. Like, I, I think you got to get him out in space, quick passes, screens, things of that nature. So yeah, hopefully I think that's something that they, they continue to implement. That was such a huge part of his profile when he played with Lawrence at Clemson. So I would imagine that comes, but yeah, for fantasy, I mean, it, it does, it does hamstring you a little bit. You know, he had the two catches for 24 yards, but doesn't have a receiving TD on the year. Uh, we should mention that fumbles continue to be an issue for ETN had another killer fumble earlier in this game uh, that, that looked like it was kind of going to, to set off a chain reaction of the Cowboys running away, but uh, obviously he gets it together and getting over the century mark against this Cowboys defense. I, I, I did not think this was going to be a great spot for ETN. I mean, he had really struggled essentially four games in a row coming into this. So um, you know, I said to Jeff, if the Jags have any chance to hang around in this game, they need to get the ground game going. And they did uh, Zay Jones, by the way, top 20 receiver in PPR on the year. He, he ranks ahead of Michael Pittman. He ranks ahead of Chris Godwin. He ranks ahead of Chris Olave, Mike Evans, Juju Smith, Debo Samuel. I could keep going, but top 20 receiver. Victory lap, Zay Jones. I love it. That's why the people come to the Rotowire podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, lightning round of questions on the Cowboys side before we move over. So one word answers. Who will get drafted first next year if everything stays the same with the Cowboys, Zeke or Tony Pollard? Depends if it's you or I doing the drafting, but uh, in one general, word. I, think, I think Tony Pollard. One, uh, Tony Pollard. Okay. Zeke, by the way, uh, seven straight games with a touchdown, nine TDs in the last seven games. I mean, he's been everything that we thought he was going to be, which okay. wasn't a league winner, Nick. He was just a stabilizer. So I still think he'll, he'll break even where he was. Um, and then the other takeaway from this game is that Peyton Hendershot caught a touchdown. He only had one catch for 20 yards, but I think that basically is going to assure the Cowboys that they don't need to re-sign for big money Dalton Schultz next year uh, with all the other issues they're going to have with their with their cap. All right, let's talk about Detroit and the New York Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson, I don't think, was the reason the team lost this game. I mean, I know there's a lot of shade being thrown at Zach Wilson. There definitely seemed to be uh, some coaching decisions that were a little questionable right here. While I just go fix this one lamp right here, I want you to tell me why you think the Jets blew it in this game. The Jets absolutely blew this game, and I think they were... They were put in a bad spot having to start Zach Wilson. Uh, yeah, I, I took the Jets and staff picks and felt fairly confident about it when we when we thought that Mike White would be the starter. Obviously, I, I went into a minor panic uh, when when we had the rug pulled out from under us. But uh, you know, they give up the the punt return touchdown on just a, a terrible situation. You know, you're punting from like the half yard line. Punter just kind of gets gets it out of there. Can't really blame him. It wasn't a great punt by any means, but you're just trying not to get that blocked. Uh, so they basically handed Detroit you know a free touchdown early in this game and. You know, I, I I will push back a little bit. I know Wilson maybe was not single-handedly responsible for losing this game, but he certainly didn't help him, Alan. And I'll tell you what, for, for a, a Jags fan with the Jaguars playing the Jets this Thursday night, I am hoping and praying that it's Zach Wilson under center instead of Mike White. So I, I think that kind of tells you um, how much differently we feel about this Jets team when it is Wilson. Like, he's still doing his, like, running 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He's, you know, kind of falling out of bounds as he's throwing. Like, he just – he's not comfortable – in the pocket whatsoever. And, and that continues to be a major issue when you're dropping 10 yards back on a third and seven, all of a sudden you need to throw the ball twice as long. Uh, so he made some plays late in this game, you know, floated one. Uh, I, I think it was to, to um, Garrett Wilson late in the game that, that did set up a field goal try. So you got to give him some credit, but had a really, really bad interception early in the third quarter. I thought the jets defense 
showed up. I, I think holding Detroit to 20 points with how well Detroit's been playing offensively and conditions that didn't end up being that bad out in New Jersey. Um, the Jets probably should have won this game. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, the Jets defense, it's funny. I'm in one of these deep dynasty leagues where every defense is rostered. In the beginning of the season, it was one defense that was on the waiver wire. It was the Jets, which means that nobody had confidence the Jets were even going to be good. They are actually one of the two defenses in fantasy football that you proactively avoid if you can, right? I mean, San Francisco's defense and the Jets defense, you're like, right. oh, crap, I have to play them. I mean, obviously, you're not going to bench someone like Amon Ross St. Brown, who do get seven for 76. But as we've been spoiled... 7 for 76 is an okay game for Amon Ross St. Brown. We want 10 for 105 and a touchdown. Uh, Khalif Raymond was the other, was the second best receiver. And again, he ha I think he had a big uh, touchdown return. Was it a touchdown on his punt return? I don't remember exactly. Or yep. he had a yep. big it was return. A short yeah. punt out of the end zone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was about as All short right. of a punt return as you're ever going to see. He caught it at like the 45. Yep. Bam Knight. My other takeaway, even though it was a bad game, he still got fed like a workhorse. He led the team in touches again with 13 touches, only 23 yards. Again, it was a, a bad game for him, but I think that that, that he is heavily going to, he's going to be involved next year. So when, if the Brees Hall recovery goes well, and it was a late season injury, I don't think Brees Hall is going to be 100%. This is the same thing we talked about with JK Dobbins last year. Brees Hall is not a player I'm going to be taking in the second or third round. And as the reports get, get good to get what you know if there's positive reports on hall he's going to get elevated next year and he's a player i'm probably going to fade especially since this is probably a three three man committee next yeah. season uh that was the big take also the big takeaway is jamal williams and deandre swift swift is still not a player i can fully trust it's too too hot and cold i can't imagine that you have anyone that you that you feel better about on your fantasy team but Overall, next year, I don't think DeAndre Swift, I think all those truthers, self-included, are not going to be shoving him into the second round. He is basically out of the fantasy circle of trust. All right, Nick, let's move along to the next one. And uh, what was the one that I want? Oh, you know what? Houston and Kansas City. Houston has proven that they could hang with all the big boys. Now, I don't know if that is because that teams don't take them seriously and they, they look past the game. But they put they scared the life out of both Dallas and Kansas City. So it just goes to show that even the worst teams in the NFL can hang with the big boys, right? Uh, in this game right here, you had uh, uh, was uh, Chris Moore. He was a popular plug and play. He was okay for fantasy football. I mean, you know, it's uh, he didn't come through like he did the week before. I'm looking right here. Let's see, Chris Moore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He had, uh, okay, he had nine targets. So Jim and I were talking about with the under over was seven and a half. I took the over, he took the under, but only had four for 42. The rest of the, the the fantasy output was nothing that you probably even played. Some people were playing Jeff Driscoll at tight end in the Yahoo leagues. That ended up being a big bust. But I really want to talk about the other side. So Mahomes, he gets his numbers at 336 and 2. But Pacheco, 15 carries for 86 yards. McKinnon, we're going to talk about him in detail. He's been RB1 the last two weeks. League winner, hello. Hopefully he wasn't on your bench after last week. So... Uh, yes, McKinnon's an auto start in week 16, wouldn't you say? I think he has to be at this point, right? And, you know, you look at Patrick Mahomes' line, 36 of 41 in this game for 336. Uh, obviously, he's an accurate downfield quarterback, but a lot of these are short passes. And McKinnon, you know, he's benefited from that. I, I think they still love what Pacheco gives them as more of a traditional running back, but we've seen McKinnon heavily, heavily involved as Kansas City has kind of leaned into this short pass game that they used last week against Denver as well. And, you know, McKinnon, it is crazy. Like he was pretty clearly the, the third most intriguing back in this backfield coming in. Nobody is really talking about McKinnon. And here we are now uh, when it, when it matters most. And they have put a ton of trust in Jarek McKinnon. I will say on the Houston side, I did not see this coming. I, I thought last week was kind of their, their Super Bowl game, their, their final hurrah, one final chance to beat a good team. It wouldn't really affect their draft position anyway. I thought this is going to be a big time letdown spot for the Texans. I mean, the Chiefs almost had their letdown. Last week, I didn't think they'd let their guard down two weeks in a row, but you're right. I, I think we have to kind of – you got to give props to the the one win, Houston Texans, Alan. They have not been blown out in like eight weeks. They found ways to stay competitive. Yeah, so let's say they have the first overall pick, Houston, in the draft next year. It, you know, there's a couple good quarterback prospects, and we're not going to get yep. too deep into this in this podcast and what the prospects are. But there's, um, you know, the, the quarterback from Alabama, Bryce Young, and and C.J. Stroud out of right. Ohio State, and then you know Anthony Richardson is out of Florida. Is you know he's he's top five ish. So um, that's the buzz right now is that he's going to be a top five, top ten pick. So you have three guys to choose from, two great options according so far, and one okay option if you want to move back. Is Houston pressing the button on a quarterback, or is this a situation where they just need so many things that they would consider moving back, maybe taking, you know, some, you know, and just getting a boatload of assets? I guess really my question for you, since you watch a lot of college football, yeah. are either of the two big prospects worth the number one pick? Are these Trevor Lawrence level prospects? Trevor Lawrence level, maybe not. I, I think in terms of talent, Bryce Young is absolutely on that level. Uh, I think the big question with Bryce Young is the size. You know, if he was two inches taller and 15 pounds heavier, I think we would be talking about him in that same breath as Trevor Lawrence. So I think Houston absolutely goes quarterback. It is worth noting. They also have the Browns pick, which, you know, depending on what Cleveland does these next few weeks, that could be another top 10 pick. Uh, as of right now, it would be the 13th pick based on Cleveland winning, but you know, that's going to change week to week. So I, I think they could kind of use that second pick to, to go best player available, maybe add something on defense to go with Derek Stingley you know, a high pick from last year, but I would be shocked if they traded out, um, you know, unless you're only trading down a spot or two, maybe they prefer Stroud. Maybe they prefer Richardson. Maybe they prefer Will Levis from Kentucky. Uh, so if there's a team that's in love with Bryce Young, I, I could see them moving a couple spots, but I, I, I think the most likely scenario is they hold that pick and, and they take a quarterback. All right. So back to this game, big takeaway, Jarek McKinnon auto start for next week, right? In the fantasy uh, semifinal total confidence. I think so. You get Seattle. 
too. I mean, there's not many better matchups right now than that Seattle defense. Right. So if you're sitting there and you have Ken Walker, if you have like these guys that haven't performed and you're like, hey, I, you know, Ken Walker, league winner, or if, you know, if you have Jarek McKinnon and he was just a week 14 waiver wire pickup, sometimes what we do is the guys we drafted, we have this bias that we should play them. Play your studs. No, you, you have to really take a look at this thing. And Nick, I think you said it perfectly is the team trusts him more than any other player other than Travis Kelsey. So uh, that's the big takeaway here. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears Philly game, which was competitive for a while. And the big takeaway is Jalen Hurts is, is, I would say, I mean, last week he solidified himself as the MVP front runner. Did he do enough in this game? What did he have? Three, he had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, I mean, right now, if you're placing a bet, I mean, he's still the favorite, right? For MVP, Jalen Hurts. Uh, well, you know, I'm looking at the fantastic betting hub over at rotowire.com, which has been built out very nicely uh, by our tech team. And he is the favorite. He's at minus 150, Patrick Mahomes plus 165. And then you got Josh Allen and Joe Burrow at 10 to 1. So the odds would imply that it's a two man race with Allen and Burrow, you know, still lurking in the background. I, I think Hertz, you know, had a chance to, to really establish himself in this game, you know, especially with Mahomes coming off of a three interception game last week. Chiefs, you know, struggling. Uh, against the Houston Texans and Hurts threw a couple of picks early in this game. Did, didn't really look all that dialed in a couple of miscommunications that we haven't really seen from him this season. But then, like you said, I mean, if, even in what feels like a down week for Philadelphia, you know, you, you look at the raw numbers and three rushing touchdowns for Hurts. still finished with 315 yards. Uh, so to me, I'm totally fine with Hurts being the MVP front runner. I, I think there's kind of this narrative starting to evolve of like, well, Patrick Mahomes is actually better than Jalen Hurts. Like, yeah, he is. If I had to choose which one I wanted quarterbacking my team, I would take Mahomes every day of the week, but I, I do think Jalen Hurts has had the better season. All right. It's it's the Michael Jordan thing, right? Like Michael yes. Jordan should have been MVP. LeBron should have been MVP every single year in that. Don't even that... get me started on this. Right. Oh, so this is a, this is something that you've. <laughs> you, so are you on the side of the best player should be MVP as, as long as the team is not you know a total crap team? Is that where you fall? Not on this? necessarily, because I, I think that you get a scenario where like Michael Jordan wins 15 straight MVPs. You know, same with LeBron. Like, no, LeBron has just been robbed of a couple. I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. All right. Looks like a you know a trigger alert. Trigger yeah. alert. All right. So. A.J. Brown, 9 for 181. Devontae Smith, as long as Dallas Goddard isn't there, he gets paid to 5 for 126. 16 and 8 targets, respectively. A.J. Brown, first-round pick next year? I think he's going to be back into the first round, right? I, I think the only, the only thing that would prevent that is the fact that you could make a case for, like, four other receivers, you know, to, to go even before him. It's like, you know, Jefferson, Hill, Diggs, Devontae Adams. Obviously, Cooper Cup will be back in the mix. It's like, at some point, it just becomes a math equation and how many of those guys can ultimately go in the first round when we're talking about Josh Allen potentially sneaking his way into the first round in Austin Eckler or Josh Jacobs, you know? So to me, I, I think we're going to start to see some of those running backs, maybe lose some value, push down half a round or so. And, and then someone like AJ Brown, you know, kind of emerges as in that 10 to 12 range. Here's the top takeaway for next year and early best ball drafts. You want pick nine through 12. You're going to be fine. There, there's Sure. And if you want, if you want Justin Jefferson, sure. I, I believe he will be the consensus 1.1. 1. 1. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into all that in later podcasts, not so much on the reviews, but there you go. 
Uh, the bear side, Justin Fields looks awesome as far as fantasy football. There's still a little yep. left to be desired. That run that he had, Nick, where it didn't count and he stepped outside, that was one of the best quarterback. That was almost like beastquake mode level yep. from a couple years ago. I was so pissed when that – did he step out? Was that a legitimate step out of bounds? Technically, it was. I mean, he he still got like 40 yards on the play. He stepped out, what, at like the five-yard line? Uh, but yeah, it, it was right before, I think, the final spin move that would have put him into the end zone. I mean, either way, that was that was the play of the year, man. And that was one of like five times that you thought the Eagles had fields dead to rights, had him down for a sack. And guys just continue, I think, to underestimate how strong and how unbalanced he is. And, and you even see it on, you know, these kind of design keepers where he'll he'll roll out and try to get to the sideline. And time after time after time, you'll see – defenders who are you know relatively fast for their position take an angle and then just realize immediately like this guy's way faster than I thought and he's just beating guys to the edge constantly so I'm with you I came away really impressed with Justin Fields I mean the raw numbers passing are very Justin Fieldsian uh tacked on a, a semi-garbage time touchdown at the end of the game some some big time confusion uh on the Philadelphia defense but um for Philly to avoid a, a letdown here I think this was big because a lot of things went wrong for the Eagles and a, a really bad Miles Sanders fumble late in this game that allowed Chicago to get back in. Like we said, slow start with the two picks for Jalen Hurts, but the Eagles just do what they've done all year. With the exception of that Washington game, they just continue to find ways. The other takeaway that I had was that, you know, the obvious takeaway is that they need wide receiver help. I'm talking about Chicago and they gave basically what's going to be a top 35 pick away for one year of chase Claypool. I thought that was a disaster at the time. They traded their 2023 second round pick for chase Claypool. Who's only uh, under contract control for one more year. Uh, Very bad. I mean, when you think about the the players in the past that have gone in that range of the draft, you're talking about T Higgins, Christian Watson, and to get a player of, of that caliber with upside of that caliber on a four or five year rookie contract. I mean, so much more value than a prospect like Chase Claypool, who again has been disappointment. There was some talk that he couldn't grasp the playbook. Uh, that, that one blows my mind. Let's move on to Pittsburgh and the Panthers. Now the Panthers were a team that everybody's been rooting for to win that division with Sam Darnold. Uh, we, on the Pittsburgh side, there was some, you know, Kenny Pickett was out. So it was Mitch Trubisky. There was some threat that Mason Rudolph was going to be the quarterback. If Mitch Trubisky was on a quote, short leash, nobody wanted to see that. Actually, I wanted to see that. I like, I, I, I love that you, you use the word threat because that's exactly how it felt. Like <laughs> we, we will use him. So don't think we won't. We'll use him. Don't we'll ruin. <laughs> we'll ruin everyone's fantasy value. Yes, uh, I, I personally felt threatened by the possibility of Mason Rudolph playing. Yep. Here's a couple of the takeaways that I wrote down for this one. Najee Harris looks healthy again. 24 carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Warren obviously had double-digit carries, and he scored. So Najee Harris, I think we had it right on the talent, but it just wasn't a good pick in the first or second round based on we heard before draft season the words Liz Frank. We don't ever want to hear Liz Frank and first-round pick together. And then Deontay Johnson, though he had a great PPR day, 10 for uh, 98, on caught all 10 ton of his targets, still doesn't have a touchdown this year. I mean, this <laughs> he's, he's, he has that, uh, that Julio Jones allergy to the end zone. I'm not yeah. sure. What, what do you think that is? What's the reason Deontay Johnson has? I think he's about to set the, the record for number of targets without a touchdown if he hasn't already. It is wild. And I, I think more than anything, it's it's just a little bit fluky. I mean, it's it's kind of the same reason that like it feels like Justin Jefferson should have 15 touchdowns and he has seven. Uh, same with Tyreek Hill only having seven. I, I know Hill, uh, I think, only had like two red zone targets midway through the year. So I, I think a big part of it is incompetent quarterback play, right? Extremely conservative game plan in Pittsburgh. 
And, you know, like last week, for example, Mitch Trubisky threw three touch or threw three interceptions at the Baltimore nine, the Baltimore 10 and the Baltimore goal line. I mean, there's it's just like that. That's good. It's been a comedy of errors for Pittsburgh in that area all season. When they get down there, they run the ball, they throw to Pat Fryermuth. Um, it, 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 it's really hard to say. And, you know, the other thing is I, I think they, they kind of have a rival for the, uh, you know, the jump ball scenarios in George Pickens. Like all of a sudden he's become that guy. It's like, all right, if we're going to throw a fade in the end zone, it's not going to Deontay Johnson anymore. It's going to George Pickens. Yeah, the other takeaway is that DJ Moore made a great touchdown catch. He needs consistent quarterback play. Even though I was not on board with drafting him in the third round aggressively, I understand why people did. He's still young enough where I think that if they can upgrade their quarterback next year, that he's going to yeah. be in a really good spot for fantasy football, and the hype will begin again. All right, the the one of the most strange endings of any game, and I'm, it's been beat to death, plowed over, but we're going to do it as well, was the Patriots and Raiders game. What everyone saw the ending there, where they obviously just should have taken a knee and gone to overtime. Did have you seen any media yet or post game interviews with Jacoby Myers to why he threw yeah. that ball just so recklessly? What was his rationale or reason? So you know, I think the the number one thing as you're watching was did he forget that the game was tied? Did he think they they absolutely needed to score a touchdown or they were going to lose? And the answer appears to be no. And you do have to give. I guess some degree of credit to Jacoby Myers for, for owning up to it, being honest, giving us his full post-game interview. He literally said the words, look, I was just trying to be a hero. And, you know, my guess is you forget, he was not the initial handler of the ball. You know, like he gets it pitched to him from Ramondre Stevenson. And I, I think at that point, you probably just have a minor panic and you're thinking, oh boy, the, the ball was just pitched to me. I, I should pitch it to somebody else. He did say, quote, I thought I saw Mac Jones open. Uh, you threw the ball 20 yards backwards, dude. So like, even if, even if Mac Jones does catch it at the 50 yard line, where is he going? Uh, we saw Mac Jones run, run a bootleg like a few plays earlier where 90% of quarterbacks are able to, to get the edge and, and probably run for a first down. And Mac Jones ended up doing like this sad, like turtling spin move. Uh, so even if Mac Jones catches that ball, like what are you doing? It's not like he can just throw it back the other way. Uh, obviously he was about to just get tackled no matter what. So to me, it was just a guy who you know, just kind of had a lapse and kind of for forgot what was going on for a second. You know, credit to him for owning up to it. It might be the dumbest way I've ever seen a game end. It really might. I think this this might top the the Miami Dolphins lateral play against these very Patriots from a few years ago. Depending on if you had the Raiders money line or the Patriots money line in that game, you had very different reactions. I saw this great uh, video sent out by Barstool, which was split screen with two guys that had opposite sides of the bet. And then they showed the yep. reaction video. Uh, very funny to watch there. Maybe it's just poor coaching. I mean, why even run the ball? when you could have just taken a knee. I mean, running the, the, the play was a, a, a called run for Ramondre. What were you hoping right. to do anyway at that point? So uh, usually Bill Belichick teams are elite coached. This one looked you know, like it was like Mike McCarthy coached at, at some point there. So yeah, uh, yeah that, the big takeaway is Ramondre Stevenson, I believe, is like a top 10 running back for next year. Another 172 yards and a touchdown and 19 carries. I know they, they're going to have some promising guys like Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris there next year. Uh, uh, Damian Harris likely will not be resigned there with all the running back talent they have. So I'm in on Ramondre as a top 12 back next year. And I think you're going to see him for running back heavy drafters, possibly make it onto that one, two turn or likely the second round or third round in early drafts. All right, Nick, uh, we're going to speed through a couple of these rounds in order to keep the podcast nice and tight. Uh, Denver, Arizona, uh, top line this one, it was 24-15 uh, Denver. We had the battle of the backup quarterbacks, and then Trace McSorley makes it in. 
Give me one big takeaway from each side of the football that you saw from these two teams. Well, you're putting me in a tough spot here trying to find real takeaways from a game that featured Trace McSorley at quarterback for most of the second half. Colt McCoy uh, went out with a concussion. McSorley did not look great. He is mobile. That's the selling point with him. But through two picks uh, that essentially lost their Arizona this game or at least you know removed any shot uh, of the Cardinals finding a way to win. Pretty depressing performance by Arizona. Uh, obviously, you know, again, not having Kyler Murray, then going down to your third quarterback, it, it's tough to uh, come down too hard on, on any of the numbers. But I really hope that we would see, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown together. That was that was the my big observation from last week. Of course, Kyler going out kind of ruined that. Um, and yeah, you know, for the rest of the year, it just it feels like Hopkins, the upside is just not going to be there. Uh, same with Hollywood Brown. I mean, who knows if Colt McCoy even plays next week. So this season is, is very quickly unraveled and now completely gotten away from Arizona on the Denver side. Nice game for Jerry Judy, seven for 76, you know, get with Brett Rippey and throwing him the ball, not nearly uh, the highs of last week, but still uh, nice to see him stringing together. Uh, so some encouraging games with Cortland Sutton out Latavius Murray, 24 for one thirty and a touchdown. Marlon Mack also had a touchdown in this game. The, the, the Latavius Murray renaissance, I think, has to be the number one takeaway for Denver. Yeah, Latavius Murray, it's funny. It's like we're trying to figure out midway through the season, who's the running back? Who's the, quote, league winner? Who's the guy on this running back I should roster? Is it, Who's yeah. the running back three on this roster? Should this happen and this happen? Sometimes it's the running back zero, meaning the guy who's not even on the roster. You remember that Latavius Murray was a, was a New yeah. Orleans Saint put back on their practice squad before he was poached by Denver, and now he's he's – in a debt, I'm in some of these leagues, Nick. I know you are too, where you have three flexes and it's a 14 oh, yeah. team league, and you're just trying to find body. It's Latavius Murray has been one of the right answers. Uh, it, it, you know, he's he's the new Frank Gore, right? Everyone were always trying who's the new Frank Gore, except that he's productive. So, uh, the other takeaway that I had from this game is Jerry Judy, he's going to be uh, he's going to end up paying his bills, uh, especially with Cortland Sutton out, uh, seven for 76 on eight targets. I still like Jerry Judy, even though he's probably was overdrafted of where yep. he was. He's still going to be a, a very nice wide receiver. Sometimes when you're picking in the middle of the first round of the real NFL draft, you're just like, you don't need to hit a home run. Getting a single or double is good enough. All right, moving on, Tennessee and uh, the Chargers. This was an interesting game that the Chargers are now, I think they're, they're fundamentally a different team now that they have all of their weapons back and Justin Herbert looks like the player that, you know, we originally thought he was, we, you know, this Tua versus uh, Herbert debate uh, it's on there. I, again, it's a little silly because it's clear when I watch it, you know, that Herbert's the better, better football player that he would be taken ahead by most NFL GMs. But for fantasy football here, Austin Eckler, who had 12 ca uh, carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. Of course, he always adds in the passing game, but today, not so much. Only two catches for 12 yards. He's been one of he's been the right answer, right? I mean, I saw him getting taken as high as pick three, but, you know, we were fading him a little bit unless he fell to the back of the first round. Uh, he's been, you know, quote, league winner. Josh Kelly, though, I think this is the big fantasy football takeaway, Nick Whalen that he is what the Chargers wanted. Someone that can get double-digit carries, be used on the goal line, and yeah, I mean, he only had 24 yards, but he did get into the end zone here. What were the two big takeaways from this game on either side of the ball that you think are relevant for fantasy managers? Yeah, I was going to mention Kelly as well. I mean, 25 snaps, he touched the ball in 11 of those 25, so when he was out there, they were using him, you know, ran ran, ran a bunch of routes, Um Austin Eckler just continues to be Austin Eckler. I thought in terms of how this game played out, 
I thought we were going to get double the points. I, I really thought Tennessee would be able to run the ball all over the Chargers. I thought we'd get long plays on the ground and we got a few of those, but not really the case. And, you know, the Chargers, Herbert did throw two picks. I wouldn't even say this was a great game for him by his standards. He was coming off of a fantastic game uh, the previous week, but I thought both teams would be able to exploit the other, uh, you know, given their weaknesses on defense. And it, it just wasn't the case. I, I did not see this coming down to a field goal. We should mention for Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill was in and out of this game. We saw Malik Willis for a couple series. Tannehill was really favoring that ankle. I, I don't know that he's going to be 100% the rest of the way. That certainly impacts the Titans passing game. They were without a couple of their receivers in this game. Um, you know, I don't think we really need to talk Malik Willis unless you're talking dynasty. Uh, for now, that's just kind of a, a wait and see situation. I, I don't think we're going to need to address him as a potential starter uh, in most redraft leagues next year. Um, but like you said, for the Chargers, completely different team when, when, when both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are out there. And we really have not seen that at all prior to these last two weeks. One or the other was always banged up. And I think you forget how good Keenan Allen is when he's healthy. He's one of the best in the business, right? I mean, he's once again next year, he's, he's going to be 30 plus, you know, he'll be yeah. well into his 30 year old and he'll be faded. But those, you know, those NFFC, those high stakes drafters, man, they'll just smash him in the third round and, and just get paid again. The other big takeaway is that Derrick Henry now is very much involved in the passing game Four caught four balls uh, on four targets for uh, basically almost 60 yards. Yep. That was uh, one of the, uh, the, I would say the Achilles heels of his fantasy game, if at all. And you're going to hear a lot of fantasy vice next year. Fade Derrick Henry. It's better to get out a year too early than a year too late. Just draft Derrick Henry. He's built differently. I'll, if he falls to the end of the first round, and we've, we've said a lot of guys are going to fall to the end of the first round, right? We can't draft everyone at the end of the first round. But if Derrick Henry, I don't care how, many, how old he is, I will die on that train, uh, die on that hill, he is he's basically their whole identity and he doesn't look any different to me uh, just another huge day here you're going to have a few ups few downs but his age will be a prohibitive factor for people trying to draft him next year yep. uh you agree you'll take him in the first round i mean i, I will man hey, look at it i got a stat for you he's got more receiving yards than saquon barkley this there season and there look I, can we count on that necessarily no but i, I think it's a it's a byproduct of tennessee just having such a bad passing game and it actually enhances Derrick Henry's value. It feels like every week now, Alan, he's ripping off like a 35 yard catch and run on a screen pass. Yeah. And then Chica Congo, a uh, the rookie fourth round tight end who is, you know, looked great every time the ball yeah. is in his hand, he's definitely profited from Traylon Burks, not being there. He'll be back, but they don't really have a lot of playmakers. So I think Chig is certainly inside the top 12 tight end cut line for the rest of the season. And he'll be a popular break. He'll be, He's basically been what we thought Albert O was going to be, right? This athletic tight end who's yes. been at least giving you some double-digit fantasy points, has some upside. So he's, I think, another big takeaway is that Chig is well inside the top 12 radar. Uh, let's let's finish this out, Nick, uh, with uh, Cincinnati, Tampa Bay. Actually, and then we're going to hit the Giants real quick. Yep. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of talk that, I mean, he blew, the, Tampa Bay blew a big lead here, right? I mean, they were up, and then Joe Burrow did what Tom Brady normally does, led them back. Uh, I guess, really, are you seeing that Tom Brady doesn't look that different? Or are you falling on the side where, oh, man, this he should retire? I, I still think he's a well above average quarterback. I, I, I think there's maybe a lack of trust in the offensive line that started early in the year and has led to him, you know, leading the league by a mile in terms of how quickly 
he gets the ball out. It's probably too quick at times. I think he's going way out of his way to avoid sacks. And look, if, if I was an NFL quarterback, especially one in my 40s with like no mobility, I'd be looking to avoid sacks too. But I think it's hurting their offense. And, you know, yet again, Tampa Bay was unable to run the ball effectively. And that's been the case every single week. And we're starting to see defenses like they, they just don't even respect them against the run. And every week, Alan, I feel like we're watching like this, like bizarre version of the air raid where the ball's just traveling four yards in the air every play. You know, it's the Chris Godwin two-yard slant raid and the Kate Otten one-yard out raid, and all of a sudden it's third and eight. And like the, the, the Buccaneers are just constantly in, in a series of third and eights that it, it feels like they very rarely pick up. Early in this game, they were moving the ball. You know, they, they found some rhythm on offense. Like you said, they were up 17 nothing in this game. Bengals had a pick on their first drive, went three and out on their next three. They, they were able to tack on a field goal at the end of the first half, that actually felt like it built some momentum. That was the first real sustained drive that Cincinnati had all afternoon. And then in the second half, it's complete turnaround. I mean, the, the, the Bengals started to look like the Bengals and the Bucks had, you know, back-to-back fumbles that absolutely killed them. And, and the offense just completely turtled up. Yeah. I think the other takeaway is that Mixon and P Ryan are, are more of a split than you originally thought, yeah. uh, you know, there was some talk that Mixon was going to come back and just be the workhorse. Pirine showed enough in those games and in the Super Bowl last year, where that's a 55 45 split the rest of the way. So obviously, you're starting Mixon. You're not going to not start him, but just right. understand Pirine's probably startable in a pinch, too. I wouldn't, you know, start him ahead of some of, you know, the, the better options. Nobody's on buy anymore. It's hard to trust him in your fantasy semifinal and final. Uh, Jamar yeah. Chase, another 13 targets. Locked in as a top five fantasy pick for next year. Uh, other than that, Mike, uh, not Mike, uh, yeah, Mike Evans, uh, he had 10 targets, but only converts five for 83. There's been talk of him that he does not look the same, Mike Evans. Do you think, let's just say they get like a decent quarterback in there? I thought Mike Evans still looks pretty good to me. I so, so I, yeah, okay, good. All right. So you're observing the same thing that I, I'm seeing there as well. And I think that you covered all the other, the other interesting thing, you know, Russell Gage. Had two touchdowns. He had a pretty big day. Uh, 12 targets, eight catches, 59 yards, two touchdowns. Where was this all year? Because I had a bet with our Rotowire's own Joe Bartle that Russell Gage was going to outpoint in fantasy points Alan Lazard. I think I got crushed. Now I have to pay his entry into the uh, uh, Rotowire Vegas League next year. Uh, but where was it? This is what I thought. I, I, you know, I should redo the bet and say, hey, let's start in week 15, Joe. You know, right? And and we'll have uh, Lazard versus Russell Gage. Double there. or nothing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, I don't have too much else from this game. I will say yeah. that my uh, th my team where I ended up with a Brady Godwin Evans stack uh, is now officially eliminated. And this wasn't even that bad of a game by their standards, but it's just, it's been low upside all year, relatively high floor. You know, it feels like you get 11 or 12 points from Evans or Godwin, but you know, you're just hoping and praying that that one of them finds their way into the end zone. Godwin did in this game. Uh, I'm with you on Evans though. I, I don't think he's really fallen off. I think he's had some uncharacteristic, drops or kind of lack of concentration plays but you know he stayed healthy all year and, and really that's kind of been one of the main Achilles heels for him in the past and the timing just looks off in Tampa Bay again I think defenses know what's coming to a degree that we haven't really seen earlier in Brady's career and you know it, if it's not Tom Brady for Tampa next year does that make you feel any better obviously it depends who it is but I, I don't feel like Mike Evans value is necessarily tied to Tom Brady I mean he was putting up big numbers with Jameis yeah, as long as they get someone that can 
put the ball downfield. There's going to be some interesting names too in free agency at the quarterback position. I mean, yep. Jameis Winston will be, you know, return to Tampa. Right. Right. And, uh, Brady, I, you, I was taught, I mean, you know, there's some talk that he could go back to new England. I don't think that that's probable, but it would be interesting to see him in San Francisco if Brock Purdy, uh, you know, loses his, the opening round playoff game. Cause obviously if Purdy makes a deep run, th that's going to be a situation to monitor as well. You know, I put out a poll on Twitter, and I said, who would you rather have? We're doing a dynasty startup super flex draft. So basically you have to draft every quarterback. Who do you think is a better dynasty asset right now? Knowing only what you know right now, Nick, Brock Purdy or Zach Wilson, which guy would you rather have on your fantasy team knowing that you keep these guys for life? Man, I, I feel bad for Jets fans that this is like a legitimate question that, that has to be asked. I, I, it has to be Purdy, right? I, yeah. I have no faith in Zach Wilson. It's like, yes, Zach Wilson, let, let's say he flames out and they stick with Mike White or they go with somebody else uh, you know, in New York. Yeah, he could maybe have a Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold-like track where he's hopping around and you know, he'll get his opportunities. Like when you're a top three pick at the quarterback position, like you just have a long leash. Like there's always going to be a team or a GM or a scout out there who says, I love this guy coming out. We're going to be the team that can fix him. How often does that happen? Not very often. Yeah. Well, I think that if it's a legitimate top three pick where it's a consensus, yes, that's the case. But Zach Wilson was considered a reach at number two by, I would say, the consent. There were people that thought, yes, he should be the number two quarterback. And, you know, I remember Chris Sims was saying he was the number one quarterback that year. That was that to me blew my mind. Uh, but maybe it's a shock value. But I think there's more stickiness and more insulation in the one, one than there is in the one, two or one, three. Yeah. Those guys get traded, you know, for, for, uh, you know, the Sam Darnold types, obviously the Josh Rosen being the extreme after one bad year, see you later, but he was more of a top 10 pick. So right. I'm not so sure that Zach will maybe Zach Wilson at best. I think his upside at this point is like having a Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke style career where he's just like this interesting, fun backup for a team for a game or two. Other than that, uh, I agree. You know, that fun little exercise we did there with Brock Purdy. Let's finish out talking about the Commanders and Giants game. Big takeaway is that Saquon Barkley, you know, he was the guy you drafted after a few down games. So obviously you didn't bench him, but at least you got you got some great fantasy production there. Giants might have a bottom two, bottom three wide receiver room right now. Uh, oh, yeah. They are going to have to, I mean, they traded Kadarius Tony away. Darius Slayton is obviously, he's been solid, but you want him more as your number three or your number four. You don't want him to be uh, your, your top receiver in targets. Uh, Hodgins has been a decent story. Richie James, you know, kind of just a journeyman at this point. And they were using Saquon Barkley as the most targeted receiver. I mean, he had eight targets, which led the team yesterday. So big takeaway here is that, the Giants, I mean, they're in the playoff mix here. So they're not, you know, they're not going to have a great draft pick, uh, but they're an obvious flawed team. And next year, they're going to have to make a decision who they franchise, who do they extend with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. I'm curious, which one of those guys would you put the franchise tag on and which one of them would you extend or would you let one of them walk? It's a really tough question because I think if you're the Giants, you've won just enough games. And at this point you are likely to make the playoffs in the NFC that I think turning around and saying, all right, see you, Daniel Jones. We're done with that experiment. I think that's really tough to do. So I think they're kind of backed into a corner where like looking at it as a, I'm not somebody who roots for the giants. I don't really care what they do. I don't know if I, I really see the upside with Daniel Jones. Um, but you know, again, I, I think, Internally, everything we hear is positive uh, in terms of the intangibles. Like I, I think if you had to choose one or the other, historically speaking, teams will typically side 
with the quarterback, but obviously Saquon is, is in this really unique situation. He feels like the only above average playmaker on the roster. And I, I think there would be a minor riot among giants fans if, if they let Saquon Barkley walk. So, I mean, it, I, I assume there's a way that they're going to try to, to figure out both of these guys, but ultimately then, you know, you're kind of locked into uh, you know, what feels like a lower upside version of like the Dak Prescott Ezekiel Elliott contracts in Dallas, where at least those guys, you know, when they're at their best, uh, especially two, three years ago, you're talking Super Bowl caliber team with the Giants. You know, it needs to be a perfect environment around Daniel Jones to, to really have that kind of double digit win upside. Daniel Jones. I mean, what are the options if they don't extend him or I think franchise tag is the most likely if they can't yeah. get a team friendly deal? Because, you know, Daniel Jones is going to want, you know, elite quarterback money. They all, you know, right. rightfully all uh, demand it. But, you know, if they can franchise tag him for the low 30s on one year, I think that's the move. And then. Barkley, you make a decision. He's going to want Dalvin Cook type money, which is 10, 12 a year. If they can get it down to five, six a year, which I don't think it will, I mean, it's going to be tough there. So uh, I don't expect Saquon Barkley to, uh, I'd say it's 50 50 right now if he's back with the Giants. Big takeaway from this game on the Washington Commander side Brian Robinson, man, 89 yards, 12 carries. Uh, he's, he's basically been the workhorse running back for the last few weeks. Terry McLaurin does what he does, six for 70. Jahan Dotson. There hasn't been a bust rookie wide receiver this year in the first round, Nick. They're all good. We were trying to figure out who the bust was. Dotson, when he plays, man, four for 105 and a touchdown. That's been good. Curtis Samuel, who started the year hot, three for 44. What do you think the biggest fantasy football takeaway is from the Washington Commanders? For me, it's that Brian Robinson is the real deal. It continues to get better and better as the season goes along. It feels like every week there's two or three plays that are, that are clipped for Twitter of him just like carrying seven guys uh, for four more yards at the end of a play. I mean, he is really legit. And when he first came back from, uh, you know, the, the gunshot wound injury, I was like, eh, you know, it doesn't quite look like the same guy, but it feels like every week he continues to pick up steam. So I, I'm very confident, you know, starting Brian Robinson at this point, tough night for Taylor Heineke, uh, basically lost Washington the game, two fumbles, on uh, two sacks, you know, took hard hits. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know what? I would have hung onto the ball. Probably wouldn't have, but still, you know, one of those returned for a touchdown. The other was just a, a crushing dagger late in this game. Uh, but you said it with Jahan Dotson. I mean, a couple really tough catches in this game, including his touchdown four for one Oh five. And the most impressive thing about these rookie first round receivers is like, none of them are even in good situations. Like they all have either terrible coaching or terrible quarterback play in some cases, both. And, you know, guys like Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jahan Dotson, uh, you know, even Traylon Burke starting to come around. Like these guys were all placed in pretty rough situations, Chris Olave, and they all look great. So, no, you're right. You're right to point that out. One more note on the Giants, by the way, talking about their playmakers. They have one receiver in the top 50 in terms of fantasy production, and it's Darius Slayton at number 50. <laughs> the top, I like the, the top 50, and he's 50, right? He's 50. <laughs> I, I would love to say that they don't have anyone in the top 50, but that would not be factually accurate. Nick, they don't have anyone in the top 49. I can assure exactly. you of that. Yeah. Now, <laughs> Not cherry picking at all. Well, Nick, there, as always, the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by our great sponsors, No House Advantage. Everyone go check out nohouseadvantage.com. Use promo code WIRE and you'll get uh, the deposit match. And then, of course, Monkey Knife Fight. Man, we thank them for their sponsorship all year long. Uh, the Rotowire podcast will be back tomorrow, Tuesday, with the waiver wire edition with Joe and Jake. They do a great job of breaking down the waiver wire. And then everyone, remember, if you have SiriusXM in your car, Nick is on there Monday through Thursday at 8 p.m. 
uh, Eastern Time, every uh, all of Monday, Monday through Thursday with Jeff Erickson. I think tonight you're going to be there with Joe Bartle, which is Monday night. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'll be joining you on the SiriusXM program next week. So if you uh, if you enjoy hearing me and Nick mix it up, and also if you found value from this uh, YouTube video, if you want to hit the like button, that helps us out. If not. We enjoyed that you were sitting here with us. And Nick will be back um, on – when's your next podcast? You do the Thursday podcast, right? Uh, I do the Thursday Rotowire Sports Betting Pod with John McKechnie. Make sure you check that out. Love doing that with John. Uh, we, we continue to have a lot of fun with that each week. And then, of course, I'll be on the Rotowire NBA pod as well. So you're probably locked in on fantasy football if you're listening no. to this. But if you're dipping your toes in basketball as well, make sure you give that a like. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we put up new video content every day. Jim Coventry uh, does a great job of putting out videos. Nick, uh, Jeff, the whole crew. So we appreciate you. And thanks for joining us on the Monday edition of the podcast. Have a great rest of week and crush your fantasy semifinals if you made it. And if you didn't, stick with us because we enjoy your company all week and as we round out the fantasy football season.